You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. Uh, what we've been looking at is James is, uh, is calling these scattered people across the Roman Empire, these Christians, who uh, feel exiled, feel distant, feel pressured. Um, the, their commitment to Jesus Christ, what happened over here? Did this? <laughs> this commitment to Jesus Christ has come with some real trials and challenges, and James wants to give them wisdom uh, on how to live uh, faithful to Jesus Christ, servants of Jesus Christ. He gives lots of instructions, lots of imperatives, lots of do's and don'ts throughout the book, all of it grounded in the fact that God has brought you forth by the Word. He has given you new birth. He's brought you forth by the Word of the Gospel. And He has called these, these readers to receive that Word by faith, the implanted Word, and to be doers of it. Do these things and don't do these things. And then we close chapter 1 with this exhortation, the kind of doing that is pleasing to God called religion. There's a bad religion and a good religion. There's the religion that deceives oneself, which is one that does not control the tongue in verse 26. But there's the kind of religion, the kind of outworking of faith that does please God, that's pure and undefiled and and the kind of religion that God wants to see in His people. When you're obeying the Word, it produces this kind of disposition in the world, this kind of attitude and love and generosity. We've seen in verse 26 that it results in controlled speech. The kind of outworking of this Word is controlled speech. God's people control their speech. We saw in, over the last couple of weeks that it results in compassionate service, visiting widows and orphans in their affliction. So there's this change of heart, this love for those who are vulnerable and broken. It moves towards danger, moves towards that with generosity and compassion. And then also, like we'll look at today at the end of verse 27, a continuing sanctification, that we should be unstained from the world. So this is our verse, James 1.27. The title of our message is Unstained from the World. Religion, so this outworking, this obeying the word, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So we see throughout the scriptures that God demands that we human beings, his people, be holy because he is holy. In Leviticus 19.2, as he's speaking to his people, the Israelites, he says, speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel And say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's really the theme, I would say, of the whole Bible. God is set apart and holy. He is pure and righteous in all his works. What happened in the Garden of Eden, though, was that God's image bearers, the ones who were to reflect his holiness and his glory and his righteousness in the world, corrupted themselves, became unholy. In 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, so not just in the Old Covenant, but in the New Covenant, Peter says this to God's people, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So that's really the question that the Bible is answering, is not how could, a, how could, a, how could good things happen to bad people, right? or bad things happen to good people. That's the question we come to the Bible If God's so good, why is there evil? No, that's not the question the Bible is ultimately answering. It's answering, how can a holy God be in fellowship with unholy sinners? How can He genuinely love His image bearers even when they're rebelling against Him? 
How will a holy God solve the sin problem so that the people that he loves can be brought near to him? How can his image bearers become unstained from the world? The problem is that we are not holy, and throughout the Bible we see a need for atonement, the payment of sin, a penalty. The penalty of sin is death. There needs to be an atonement, the blood sacrifice. There needs to be a death to atone for sin. There's also purification needed, that we are stained. We are stained by our sin and need to be washed. This is pictured and promised in the Old Testament in Genesis 3. After Adam and Eve sinned, God killed an animal and clothed them. A picture of atonement and covering and purification. The Mosaic sacrificial system of lambs and blood and goats and sprinkling and washings all pointed to this need that if we're going to come before a holy God, then we're going to need atonement and purification over and over and over. It's the problem that continues to be the issue in the Scriptures is this need to be unstained, to be atoned for, to be cleansed so that we can be with our holy God. All of those systems in the Old Testament are temporary until we find in Jesus Christ the pure spotless Lamb. In fact, John the Baptist, when he announces that Jesus has come, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who what? takes away the sin of the world, who unstains you, who atones for you. Look who has come. The one who can complete the system, the one who can solve the riddle, the one who can fix the problem. And Jesus, after he shed his blood on the cross, enduring the wrath of God for sin, spilling his own blood on the cross before he dies, says what? It is finished meaning that atonement and purification have now been purchased for anyone who would come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So, good news is that one can become unstained from the world and brought into fellowship with a holy God. And so James is pulling on that theme here, and I want to answer two questions today. How does one become unstained from the world? How does one enter that status? We're all born stained by the world. We're all born stained by our own sin, broken unholy, righteous, under God's holy wrath, distant from Him and under His judgment? How does one move to the status of being unstained from the world? And then question two is, how does one keep unstained from the world? So those are the two questions that we're going to answer. And I want to answer question one by reading a story from a kid's book. This sounds fun, right? So if there are a couple kids that actually want to sit up here, I'm going to sit in my chair here. And I'm going to read part of this book. So if any of the kids are brave enough to come up here, if not, that's okay. I will sit here and we will read a story. Here we go. You ready? You want to come up here? You're my, you're my man. You come right up here, okay? All right. Now, it, you can sit on the floor. You can sit in the chair. That's totally fine. Uh, this is a book called Blotch by a friend of mine named Andy Addis, who's a pastor in Kansas. And when I thought about this theme of unstained, uh, this story just pictures really well. He does a really good job. So I'm not going to read the whole book because it takes 25 minutes. So I'm going to summarize some of it. Hey, have, have any of your parents ever skipped pages in a book while you're reading it and you caught them? Yeah. They've never done that? Okay. Well, you, you, they have more integrity than I do. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the opening part of the story and then I'm going to summarize the middle and then read the ending. Okay. And there's pictures on the, on the screen as well. So this is the question we're trying to answer. How can one become unstained from the world? So here we go. You ready? So this is uh, The Journey Begins, chapter 1. Blotch was the smallest brother in the smallest family in the smallest village in the whole kingdom. As the bright orange sun began to set, little Blotch sat in the same place where he ended every day. 
He was perched on the edge of a very small cliff, on the edge of a very small pond, looking into the clear and perfect still water. The surface of the water was like a mirror, and Blotch would often stare at his reflection for hours. It's not like he liked the way he looked. In fact, it was just the opposite. Blotch spent his evenings trying to race the vanishing light of the sun as he counted all the spots and stains upon his face and body. But every day as the light faded, his mother called him to dinner before he could get to the end of his counting. There were just too many stains. Blotch was not born with all his stains. None of his people were. They all began their lives with just one small mark. But the number of stains grew and grew with each passing day. No matter how they tried, they could not keep from getting new stains. The stains were part of who they were. With a name like Blotch, he thought about those stains and spots a lot. Of course, the stains were no mystery. Everyone knew where they came from. If you told a lie, a stain appeared. When you said something mean, there was another spot. Disobeying parents, oops, here comes another. Whenever anyone was bad, mean, or just did something wrong, another stain would appear. Even the best people Blotch knew had their own stains. He didn't know exactly what had caused each of their spots, but he knew it, was something, it wasn't anything good. Although no one likes the marks, no one knew how to make them go away. But Blotch was a determined boy, and he was determined to find the answer. As the sun faded behind the hills, Blotch made his way home. It was time for dinner, and he knew he would not solve the problem of the stains tonight. Around the table, with his father, mother, and two older brothers, Blotch sat quietly while they talked about their day. They shared stories of bullies at school, mean conversations at work, and rude people at the store. These were the kinds of things stained people talk about. Blotch didn't say a word. That is, until his mother turned to him and said, Well, my little Blotch, why so quiet tonight? Blotch looked up quickly, sending a single tear sliding down his cheek. How do we get rid of the stains? His voice was shaky but loud. Every voice at the table went silent and every eye focused on Blotch. I'm tired of the spots, the marks, and the stains. I want them to go away. He didn't know whether to, be, whether to cry or to be mad. His oldest brother spoke first. Oh, be quiet, Blotch. Everyone's got them. And as he spoke, a faint little spot appeared just under his left eye. Blotch's middle brother didn't say a word, but he didn't have to when a stain appeared on the end of his brother's nose. Blotch knew he must be thinking mean things about him. Just then, Blotch's father spoke up. Now, now, Blotch, your brother is right. Unfortunately, stains are just a part of life. You need to learn to live with them just like everyone else does. But Blotch didn't want to live with the stains. Deep down, he believed that they were not meant to have spots. And he was going to find some way, anyway, to make them go away. A little embarrassed, Blotch pushed away from the table and walked around to sit next to his father. Blotch whispered, Dad... If there is a way we can get it, what if there is a way we can get rid of the spots? Well, I suppose that would be wonderful, my little Blotch, but how in the world could that ever be? We have always had spots, said his father. Blotch felt his stomach tighten. He had thought about his plan almost every night while sitting at the pond and counting stains, but saying out loud would make it much more real. Blotch swallowed the lump in his throat and continued, Dad, what if someone knows how to get rid of the stains? What if someone in one of the other villages knows what to do? What if the king of the kingdom could make them go away? Blotch sat up taller and wiped the tears from his eyes. He looked right at his father, feeling bigger than he, 
than he had ever felt, he asked one more question. Dad, I need to find an answer. Would you let me go on an adventure to see if someone knows how to get rid of the stains? Blotch's heart pounded like thunder as he waited for his father's reply. It seemed like an hour before he heard the quiet answer, yes. Blotch couldn't believe it. He looked up at his father and saw that this time the tears were in his father's eyes. Even though Blotch was young, his father knew he couldn't deny Blotch the chance to try to find the answers he was searching for. So, Blotch goes on an adventure, and I'm going to summarize part of this. He goes to village number one. I think there's pictures up there. He goes to village number one, if you can see those. Packs a backpack and a few sandwiches, and he goes to Hyderville. He goes to Hyderville. Oh, you're ruining the punchline. Okay. <laughs> We're going to get there. So he goes to Hyderville, and he's amazed because it, nobody there has spots. And he goes, well, this is easy. No one here has stains. But then he noticed as they interacted with him and with others that they were just as mean and selfish as any of the people in his town. And one day a storm blew up and the rain started to fall and all the people scattered and one person was standing in the middle and all of a sudden we saw that the rain had washed away. They had only been covering their spots. They had been working every day to cover up the spots so that no one could see them. But it was fake. In Hyderville, all the people did was just hide their spots and their stains. They weren't really gone. A few miles down the road, he moves to Pretendville. In Pretendville, he notices people have just as many spots as anyone. In fact, these people might have more spots than the people in his town. The people come in, and he begins to ask them questions about the spots, but nobody will talk to him. Nobody will admit that they have stains. They pretend that they don't have stains at all. So in Hyderville, they cover their stains. In Pretendville, they just pretend like they don't have stains. And so he quietly begins to keep asking about the stains, and nobody will acknowledge that they have any stains until one man whispers to him and says, hey, we just don't talk about this. We don't have any stains, do we? And Blotch becomes discouraged. These people seem to have just tricked themselves into thinking that they don't have any stains. So he moves on to point city. Point City. He moves into Point City and he notices that there are people on two sides of a street and they all seem very angry. And they have as many spots as he has ever seen in his life. Stains all over them. As he walks in, one person grabs him and goes, you need to stay away from those people. They put spots on us. They put stains on us. And as a stain appeared, he goes, see, they did this to us. And in Pointer Town, everyone blames someone else for their stains. No one wants to admit until finally they all turn on him. Both sides of the street turn on him. Maybe this intruder is the one that has made things wrong with us. Maybe he's the one that has stained us. And Blotch is yelled at and blamed and screamed at. And he runs away as fast as he can. So we'll skip to chapter 5. Blotch ran and ran. His legs were sore than they, than they had after the day of cutting firewood with his father. He was more out of breath than the day his oldest brother teased him by pushing him under the water at the lake. He ran until he could run no longer. Blotch was too afraid to turn around and look, but he ran far enough and fast enough to know that the finger-pointing people of Point City were no longer behind him. After the longest run of his life, little Blotch finally came to a stop in the middle of the road. As he caught his breath, he thought about all that he had seen and heard on this journey. He thought about the unfriendly people of Hyderville, who lived in fear of their secret truths being uncovered. 
He thought of the nice people in pretend town, but he knew that ignoring their stains didn't solve the problem. And how could he forget the people of Point City? They were angry and divided, and they were fighting while they tried to convince themselves that their stains were everyone else's fault. Blotch was so tired and confused that he started to cry right there where he had stopped. He cried so hard that his eyes blurred, and the little bit of strength left in his, eye, in his legs gave way. He dropped to his knees right in the middle of the road. Although he had his face in his hands and his knees in the dirt, he could feel the sun's warmth fading. Far from any village and out of food, still stained with no answers, little Blotch was about to give up. That's when he felt a hand on his shoulder, a hand as gentle as his mother's, but still firm like his father's. Then he heard a, man friendly, a man's friendly voice call him by name. There, there, my little Blotch, it said. You have come on a long journey and the road has been difficult. Come, follow me. The voice was so comforting that Blotch thought of nothing but obeying. He somehow found the strength to rise to his feet and follow. The kind man led Blotch to a little house not far from the side of the road. Once inside, he lifted the younger journey, journeyer to have a seat. The house was small and simple, but tidy inside. Although Blotch had never been to the outside before, he did not know the man. He felt oddly comfortable and perfectly safe. This new stranger sat across from Blotch. You can stop crying now. All is well. There is no more need to run. Here you can lay down your hurts, fears, and mistakes. Here you will find rest. Blotch's eyes were still blurry from crying, so he squeezed them shut and opened them wide again to try to see his new friend more clearly. The first thing Blotch could make out was the man's amazing smile. The smile invited him to speak. I have been on a long journey looking for answers and I have found nothing, Blotch began. Really? The man replied. It sounded like a question, but Blotch was almost certain the man already knew who he was and what he was doing on his journey. Still the voice asked, what have you been seeking on your journey? I have been trying to find out how to get rid of these stains, Blotch answered. Very interesting. Have you found anyone who can help you? I found some people who covered up their stains only to have them revealed. I found others who pretended they had no stains, but on the inside they knew. And I found a group who tried to blame everyone else for their own stains. That's who I was running from, Blotch said desperately. So I guess the answer is no. I have found no one to take away my stains. Well, little Blotch, do you know where the stains come from? The man asked. Yet again, it seemed as though he already knew the answer. I think I do, Blotch said. The stains come from us. They appear when we do something wrong, something that deserves a stain. Oh, how I wish we could get rid of them. The kind man's smile widened even more. Oh, little Blotch, I have good news. I can take your stains away. Blotch's eyes cleared enough for him to see the kind man well for the first time. He was the king of the entire kingdom, and he had no stains. You're, you're the king, Blotch shouted. He shook in head, his head in disbelief. You, you, can really make, you can really take away my stains? First things first, little one, I have come to live on this road to help stained ones like you. I have watched you all, all of you, since the beginning of time, and I've waited for you to understand that the stains were yours, that you needed someone else to clean them for you. Blotch interrupted, but, but you're the king. Shouldn't you be living in a castle far away? The king laughed and pulled Blotch into a hug. Oh, I, I could do that, my child, but I love you and all my people so much that I wanted to be here with you to take away your stains. Blotch's heart began to race even faster than when he was running on the road. 
Oh, please, please take away all my stains. I am sorry for all the things I've done to cause them. I can't think of anything better than for you to take away my stains. Blotch fell to his knees at the king's feet. He felt something more powerful than curiosity, something stronger than hope. He had belief. He believed. He knew that the king had the power to take away his stains. The king placed a gentle hand on Blotch's shoulder. Close your eyes, the king whispered. Blotch immediately obeyed, waiting for what the king would do or say next. Your faith has healed you, young Blotch. Now look, the king said. Oh, it's Jesus. Yeah, you're right. Blotch opened his eyes and immediately looked down at his own arms, his hands, his feet. The stains were gone, completely gone. He ran to a mirror and touched his perfect skin. Not one spot, not one blemish looked back at him. But how? Where did they go, he said, turning toward the king. Suddenly, Blotch jumped back in shock. The king was now covered in stains. How can this be? How could this happen? If you can heal me, can you not heal yourself? Blotch continued to ask questions, but the king said not a word. He simply waited for Blotch to understand. Then little Blotch looked more closely. He recognized the stains upon the king. They were his stains. The stains that had once been on Blotch's arm and face and feet were now on the king. The king then spoke with the same gentle strength. The stains were yours, but I was willing to take them for you. I have taken your stains because I care for you so much. Little Blotch began to cry once again. This time not because he was tired or sad. This time he cried because he had never felt so loved. Go home, little Blotch, and show your family what has been done. Tell them the good news and bring them here to me, said the king. I love them as well and I will make them clean. And that is what Blotch planned to do. But he would tell more than his family. He would tell everyone he met what the king had done for him. Quickly, Blotch gathered his things and headed towards the road to start the long journey home. A few steps from his house, he turned to see the king one more time. Blotch was surprised once more. The king was standing in the middle of the road, smiling and waving, and the stains he had taken from Blotch were all completely gone. What an amazing king. On the way home, Blotch stopped to tell the pointers in Point City the good news. He tried to convince the pretenders of Pretend Town to go to the king, and he whispered the good news to the hiders in Hyderville. Not all believed and not all would listen, but many did, and many found themselves walking that same road to the king. Everyone who came to the king found healing. Their stains were finally gone. The end. You can go back to your seat. Thanks, guys. So the reality of that story is that all of us have stains, the stain of sin that needs atonement and purification. And religion offers us something. Religion, the religions of the world offer us the opportunity to be hiders. Some religions offer the idea to be pretenders, as if you're not stained by sin and need of atonement and purification. Some religions are pointer religions that want to blame your stains on someone else. But only one came in the flesh to come and make atonement for sin and to bring cleansing. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, the King. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might, have, might become the righteousness of God. We might become unstained from the world because the King will take our stains on the cross. Titus 3, 4, and 6 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done 
by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So how does one become unstained from the world? By running to Jesus, believing in his death and resurrection, his perfect life, his atoning death, his purifying death, his resurrection, and he washes us, he cleanses us, he justifies us, he renews us, and we become new. James, then, in verse 27, calls us to keep ourselves unstained for the world because we already are in Christ. So that's the second question I want to answer very quickly. How does one keep oneself unstained from the world? So first, to keep oneself unstained from the world means that you have to become that, which only Jesus can do, by grace, through faith in what he's done, his person and his work. James is now calling us to remember who we are. We have been cleansed. Now stay unstained from the world. Let me break this down. How does one keep oneself unstained from the world? Let's just break down the last of this phrase, to keep oneself unstained from the world. First of all, to keep oneself means to guard or retain what you already possess. To keep what you already possess. So we're not doing religious works in order to become unstained. We already are unstained and are called to live in it, to guard it, to protect it, to cling to it, to enjoy it, to not let go of it. So we receive this cleanliness, this being unstained from the world, we receive it passively by faith in Jesus Christ, and we walk it out in sanctification. We become holy by putting forth effort. Hebrews 12.14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So we're both gifted holiness and we're called to grow in it, to not go back to our former sins, to not go back and be stained by the world, to live as clean as we really are in Christ. That's the kind of religion God's looking for, the kind that pursues holiness and communion with God. Philippians 2 puts this well, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now only, not only in my presence, but also more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. So this idea of keeping oneself unstained from the world is remembering your justification. What Christ has done for you, and then putting forth the effort, the religion of living a holy life. What is true about you on the inside is now becoming, to be, becoming more and more true on the outside in how you live. You're guarding yourself from the stains of the world, and you're pursuing holiness in your life. Becoming, James is going to talk about this throughout the rest of the book in James 2. How do you remove the stains of partiality? How do you remove the stains of an uncontrolled tongue? How do you not go back to the world's way of doing things? Pursue who you really are. Keep oneself unstained from the world. This idea of unstained from is the idea of growing in sanctification. You are unstained. Keep oneself means that you're already in this state. Now keep yourself there. Live it out. Let this tree bear fruit. That holiness and righteousness you receive from Christ, let that bear fruit. This growing sanctification, this idea of unstained from, kind of goes back to the Old Testament of offering an unstained sacrifice, a perfect lamb. You pursue holiness, pursue righteousness. This word unstained is found in three other places in the New Testament. One referring to Christ's perfection in 1 Peter 1.19. Talking about us being cleansed by the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. 
So we receive the righteousness of Christ and we're to demonstrate that. We're to do the kind of religion God loves is Christ-likeness. In 1 Timothy 6.14, it speaks of the purity of the Word, that the Word is unstained. James has talked about that, right? That you've been born of the Word into purity, into holiness, into righteousness. Receive that, the implanted Word, and then be doers of the Word. Be doers of righteousness and holiness, right? 1 Timothy 6.14, keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then also this word is used in 2 Peter 3.16. Therefore, my beloved, since you are waiting for these, meaning the return of Christ, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And at peace. It's the Lord's will that you be sanctified. You're declared righteous the moment you put your faith and trust in Christ. And now you have the wonderful opportunity and the empowerment by the Holy Spirit to live righteous, to be holy, to be unstained from the world. And then lastly, the third is the word. So we talked about to keep oneself means to guard, retain, be vigilant, put forth effort to keep yourself in that holy state. Unstained from the world, you're growing into Christ-likeness by the word because one day you want to be found by him in this growing state of holiness and you will one day be perfect. You will one day be completely cleansed of all of your sin. And the idea of the world here is the ungodly and godless systems around us that we live in a world that wants to stain us, that wants to pull us back into sinful desires and habits, right? To, to live unstained from the world means we're going to have to go upstream. The current is always against us in this world. Always against us in this world. The idea of worldliness being avoided by Christians is just all throughout the Scriptures. I, had, I think I had over 100 passages at one point in my notes I'm only giving you like 19 of them today, all right? There's so much in there about the dangers of the world. The world wants to, to stain you. We saw that in the story, right? To stain, to point, to pretend. Maybe sin isn't a real thing. This idea that God's people are to be distinct from the world. That was always clear. God always wanted his people to be distinct from the world. 1 John 2, 15 and 16 says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. It's a zero-sum game. Can't have a little bit of world and a little bit of Christianity. It's an all-or-nothing thing. Either the Father has your love or the world has your love 100%. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father but from the world. So we're in a war and we have to put forth effort and the religion that pleases God is the kind that makes war against sin. No longer wants to be stained by the world. These are the things that stain us and we must guard against them. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the, and the pride of life. That is how the world is trying to pull us back in, to stain us, to make us just like the world, indistinguishable, so where you can no longer tell who's God's people and who's not. Because they're pretending, they're covering, they're pointing. And James is going to talk about this again and again. What does it look like to be distinct from the world? He's already talked about in verse 14 that, that temptation drags us off. We've got to fight against that. Keep ourselves unstained from that. In verse 19, quick speech, quick anger. That's a mark of the world, not God's people. Let the word cleanse that. Verse 21, filthiness, rampant wickedness flows out of worldly people, not God's people. In verse 22, the world hears but doesn't do. The world knows. They have the Bible, right? 
But they don't listen to it, they don't heed it, but not God's people. Partiality, that's a worldly disposition, that you would play favorites and have be partial. Don't be stained by that. In chapter 2, verse 14, saying, be warm and well-fed, but not helping someone, that's what the world does. Don't be stained by that. In chapter 3, verse 8, the untamed tongue is to be stained by the world. You're to have a controlled tongue, a blessing tongue. Chapter 3, verse 9, cursing people. That's, that's worldly stuff. That's staining. Be unstained. You be a blessing, people. Chapter 4, verse 1, quarreling. That's worldliness. Don't be stained by quarreling. Chapter 4, verse 13, presumption about the future. Thinking that you're sovereign over your life, so you're making these definitive plans as if you control tomorrow. No, no, no. If the Lord wills. Realizing that each one of my days is in God's hand. Chapter 5, verse 1, riches leading to defrauding others. Playing the riches game. That's worldliness. Don't be stained by that. Don't be marked by that. Don't let the world pull you into that. You guard your set-apartness. You guard it by the power of the gospel. Chapter 5, verse 12, failing to keep promises. That's what the world does. The world promises and can't deliver. That's the whole definition of sin and temptation. Temptation offers you a pleasure, but in the end, it robs from you. It takes from you. It leaves you worse than you did before. You guys all know that, right? Like, some temptation looks really good, and then after, after it, you feel awful, right? You ever been in that situation? One of the things I pray for when I'm starting to feel tempted is, God, help me to feel now what I'll feel five minutes after I commit this, right? Let me just go ahead and feel that on the front end so that then I don't fall into it, right? Give me a little bit of forethought, God. Protect me. In fact, that's in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because God, Christ died to make us holy. And he fills us with his spirit so that we might be empowered to live holy. So the religion, the outworking of our faith that pleases God, is one that serves others, controls the tongue, and aims at holiness. This is why Jesus was so upset with the Pharisees, is that their religion just covered it up. They had no interest in holiness. They wanted to appear holy. But their empty ritual and religion, this goes back to the Old Testament prophets, It didn't actually, it wasn't any desire to actually know and commune with God. It was simply to sort of cover up the stains. And Jesus is like, no, the religion that God wants is the kind that transforms you and is a living out of the holiness that you already have in Christ. So here's the thing. In James 1.27, we're to be in the world, engaging with widows and orphans. We're engaged in the world. We're not withdrawn from the world. We're not off making our own little communes and sort of singing kumbaya as if it's the big bad world out there and we're the good people in here. No. John, or Jesus in John 17 tells us that we're to be in the world but not of the world. John 17, 14 through 19, Jesus is about to go to the cross and he prays for us. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one being stained. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world to visit widows and orphans, right? To make disciples of all nations. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified, unstained, in truth. You see the connection there? This is not monastic withdrawal 
And it's also not thoughtless conformity to the world, but it's to be salt and light within it. Coming into real contact with the world, but being a transformative impact because of who we are in Christ. And we guard that. We guard each other in that. Our distinctiveness. If the salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? So the distinctiveness of saltiness that comes in real contact with the corruption of the world is the kind of religion that God finds pure and faultless. Spurgeon says this, I would like to see a Christian not kept in a glass case away from trial and temptation, but yet covered with an invisible shield so that wherever he went, he might be guarded and protected from the evil influences that are in the world in almost every place. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Carly. You told me you were going to do that one of these times, and I love it. So how does one become unstained from the world? By putting our faith in the King, in trusting in Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection cleanses us of all sin. How does one keep unstained from the world? Through the means of grace. Through the means of grace, we persevere in holiness. We progress in holiness. The call here is to be unstained in your affections and attitudes and actions. To be unstained in your speech, sufferings, and service. To be unstained in your motives, movements, and money. You get that? I just alliterated all that. That was awesome. Everything in life, unstained. Unstained. Because we're already unstained in Christ. Let's live it out. Let's live out our justification in our sanctification. A couple of passages here. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. through 11. Just notice how this is put together. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's holiness. Unholy things will not be brought into God's kingdom. And some, of, some were some of you. So he's talking to this church. Going, you were this. You were disqualified from the kingdom because you were stained. You were unholy. And I demand holiness. But, here's the deal, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You're not stained anymore. Don't, don't live stained anymore. Hebrews 10, 19-25, look at this interplay. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened up for us, through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts, what? Sprinkled clean. Sprinkled clean. I lost my spot. Sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not like neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day dawning, drawing near. So because we've been washed, we've become unstained by the world because of the work of Christ, let us draw near. We have actions. We have responsibilities. We have obedience that we need to pursue, and we're to do it together, right? You need each other. Don't give up meeting together because you're going to need each other. You'll get stained by the world if you don't commit to each other, if you don't look out for each other. If you don't drag each other into the throne of grace to be washed again and again and again. Hold fast to the confession. Consider one another. 
Don't neglect meeting together. Be committed to each other. Because we have this call to please our Father by living holy lives. Five applications and we're done. Number one, confess your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't keep yourself unstained until Christ himself has cleansed you, right? You can't guard something you don't have. And there are some in here who have never put their faith in Jesus. You're either covering, pretending you don't have sin, or you're blaming others. You have to just own your sin. Own it. And then confess it to God going, I need you to cleanse me. And I believe that you have done all the work that is necessary through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So I am casting myself entirely on that. I'm going to passively receive your grace. I can't do anything. I'm out of excuses. I'm out of blame. I'm out of coverings. Christ, you're my only option. You're my only hope. 1 John 1, 7 through 9 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness, make us unstained from the world. So that's first and foremost. None of these others make any sense until you've come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the holy God, by being made holy by the blood of Christ. Number two, profess your faith through baptism. Baptism is a picturing of the washing that God has done inwardly. It's, it's to enact that on the outside. And we're embodied creatures. We're not meant to just have merely a faith that's on the abstract level. We're to act out the gospel. We're to act out what God has done for us in Christ. Acts chapter 22, verses 16. And why now do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. 1 Peter connects this. 1 Peter 3 connects this to baptism. Formerly, they did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. So God washed the whole world of evil. And people were brought through the judgment of water to new life in a new world. And here's what Peter says. Baptism, which corresponds to this. The idea that the judgment has come. You have passed through the judgment. And now you're coming out into a new world. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the appeal to God for a clean conscience. To be unstained. Lord, I am trusting that you will give me an unstained conscience. That's why I'm obeying in baptism. I'm putting my trust in you. So profess your faith through baptism. If you haven't done that yet, you're, you're, you're kind of hindering your own progress in living unstained from the world. Number three, commit to being washed by the word multiple times a week in community. Paul in Ephesians 5 talks about what Christ does for the church. It's a, it's a command to husbands, but he really says a lot about Jesus in the church. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, unstain her, having cleansed her with the washing of water with the word. That's what's happening right now as we're gathered, as we're being washed by the word as I preach. Amazing thing. Christ is washing the stains off his bride that she's accumulated throughout the week. You've walked in here somewhat stained by the world, right? And that's why we have a time of confession. 
is to go ahead and just acknowledge that, that we need regular washing so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, unstained. One of the processes that God keeps his people unstained from the world is being part of a church. And not just on Sundays, but in community with each other. Reading the Bible together during the week, find someone. If you don't have someone to read the Bible with you one-on-one or in a small group, find someone. Be washed regularly. Don't just put it all on Sunday to do that. Sunday does do that. Jesus is washing his bride, unstaining us from the world week in, week out. Commit to being here, but also commit to being part, doing that in community multiple times a week. Number four, confess your sins in worship and to one another. James is going to get to this in chapter five. He says, if any of you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and God will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. One of the mechanisms that God keeps us unstained from the world is us being willing to confess our sins and pray for each other. Commit to doing that before you leave today. Going, hey, I'm kind of struggling with pride or I'm a little discouraged or I've kind of got this thing that I've been wrestling with that maybe I can't talk about right now. But would you pray for me? And then pray for someone, like literally on the spot, 60-second prayer before you leave. It's part of how the religion that God wants us that pleases God is us helping each other stay unstained from the world, which means we have to confess our sins. Put a prayer request in the box. Let your elders pray for you. There's something powerful about elders praying for you. I don't get it. I don't know why, but God has said that that's the case. And then lastly, examine yourself and partake in the nourishment and cleansing of communion, the Lord's Supper. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 32. Whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. So this idea of examining your heart to see if you're trusting in Christ, you're making progress in the gospel. This kind of unstained, like, God, would you help me, even as I'm taking the Lord's Supper, to, to progress in being unstained from the world. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we might not be condemned along with the world. There's a cleansing aspect to the Lord's Supper, a nourishing, a progressing, as we remember that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So I want to give you just a moment in the quietness of your own heart to maybe think through some of these applications. That the religion that really pleases God is the kind that is full of a controlled speech, compassionate service in the world, and continuing sanctification from the world, growing in holiness with him. And the means of grace, God set up a whole church, new covenant system, so that we might have the resources we need by the power of the Holy Spirit in the word to be able to actually live unstained from the world. So that then when the world looks at us, they go, there's something different there. They're serving in a way that I can't explain. They speak differently than anyone I've ever met. And they live lives that are marked by holiness. They bear fruit of the Holy Spirit. Jesus must be raised from the dead because I cannot explain these people apart from the gospel. That's how we live. That's what we do. That's who we are. And that pleases God. That's pure and undefiled. It's a sweet aroma in his 
knows. Let's take just a moment and you just in your own heart deal with God and maybe make a decision today to take a step, whether that's to come into a relationship with Christ for the first time or maybe it's to take a step that you've been putting off or you've been stuck on. Let's do that now. Oh God, we come before you in awe of your goodness and your holiness. We have a a big Bible and a lot of history to show that you are holy and we are not. We make a mess of ourselves. God, we thank you that you have shown us how we can become unstained from the world and it is because what you have done for us in Christ. Lord, help us to root ourselves there in faith. Help us to trust wholly in you. And God, we thank you that you don't just leave us there as, just, as if we're just idle in this whole um, Christian life, but you have called us to pursue controlling our tongues, compassionate service to the needy, and a continuing sanctification to work out our salvation with great joy, with fear and trembling, knowing that it's you that works in us. Lord, we thank you for setting up a system of interconnectedness, a new covenant by which we might regularly be strengthened and washed and cleansed and reminded we're so quick to forget, we're so quick to wander, we're so quick to compromise, and you have set all of these rhythms and habits and systems in place that we might be corrected and cleansed and straightened and helped, that we might get to the finish line faithful and pure and holy. Lord, help us not to begrudge any of these means of grace that you've given us. Help us not to consider any of them as optional or up to our interpretation. Lord, help us to call you Lord and then actually do what you say. We thank you that you have provided all of these resources for us in the gospel and that you have told us what kind of religion you're looking for. And you've given us a whole lot of scriptures. You've given us a whole lot of help. You've given us your spirit to lead and guide us. Lord, help us to grow in holiness and remain unstained from the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.